Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. This is Carrie Peffley. I'm in the philosophy department. And I'm Anne-Marie Koistra. I'm in the history department. And today we're joined by Sam Mulberry, um, who's going to talk to us about Augustine and journeys and his own journey and reading and being bookish and all sorts of other fabulous stuff. Thanks for listening. Today we have uh, Sam Mulberry, who is in the Christianity and Western Culture team, and we're going to ask him a few questions about Augustine and the Confessions. It is truly an honor to be here. I need to say I um, I have probably done conservatively 440 podcasts. I've never been a guest on a podcast before, so I, this is great. I'm, I'm glad we are... <laughs> We are remedying that. There we go. Situation. And I think it shows our intelligence, yes, frankly, as you know, podcasters. And I need to say, I am a big fan of this show. Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, obviously, I listen to it because I produce it, but I, I really, I do listen back again and really, really enjoy it. So mm-hmm. well, you're, you're raising the level of discourse on the podcast network. Hey yo! Wow. I know. Even my husband is listening now to the podcast, mm-hmm. and of course, my husband feels very free to offer me. Great criticisms sure. or, you know, feedback on all of the topics that were... T- He's not sure he agrees with um, uh, um, Aristotle, by the way. That's He's okay. maybe He's maybe a bit of a Platonist. Anyway, so Sam, as someone who is from the Christianity and Western culture team, you guys also, though, spend a fair bit of time on confessions. Yeah, we spend more time on Augustine than anyone. So, I mean, be- because yeah. we do... Essentially, most of the arc of Western Civ that you guys cover, we do that in a semester. Mm-hmm. So we're often biting off two, three, four, five hundred years per lecture. Right. So it's, there's always this weird moment at the end of our first unit where we say, okay, today we're actually going to just talk about one person. And we're not even going to talk about their whole life. We we do one lecture that's basically confessions. There's there's a little bit of theology at the end. Okay. But but confessions is really the the root of that lecture. And that's a lecture that I that I give. Yeah. Okay. So now how do you then talk to students about what they are going to encounter in the book Confessions? Um, well, for one thing, we don't uh, we don't have them read the whole book. We used to in the in the history of CWC. When I was a student, we read mm. I th- basically the whole book. Okay, um, but we don't we don't do that anymore. So we have um, we have a big excerpt that we give them, um, really of the the scene in the garden. Okay. So the purpose of the lecture is to get them to the garden. Okay. So um, so, yeah. so for right. our readers who have forgotten sure. about the scene in the garden. Walk us through a little bit of the scene in the garden. What what's so this the is big this deal? is this is to my mind one of the one of the most powerful scenes in uh, I'll say in the history of Western literature. Um, it is Augustine. He has throughout this story he has he doesn't always know it, but he's chasing after God. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he in, towards the end of the book he talks about he's chasing after God like some monster loose in God's beautiful world, right? <laughs> and God is always there. This is so I start the lecture with with this quote. You know, he says I, I came to love you late, oh beauty so ancient and so new. I came to love you love you late. You were within me and I was outside where I was wildly searching about you like some monster loose in your beautiful world. You were within me uh, you sent my blindness reeling, and I can't remember from there. So, yeah, but but yeah, so it's like it's one of my favorite passages because it it sets out the theme for the whole story, which is Augustine's chasing after God, and God is always there. So throughout this story, we see Augustine, uh, as Eric said last week, going to all these different places looking for mm-hmm. truth, looking for mm-hmm. answers, um, looking for answers to big questions. And what's what's cool is he's not. 
he's not he doesn't know that he's that he's chasing after God, but he's chasing after truth. Right. So he the problem of evil, right? This idea mm-hmm. of if God is all good and God created everything, then where does evil come from? He's he says that that's like an engine for him. He's got to know the answer to that, and he keeps he goes to these different places because he thinks if he can answer the intellectual questions, he'll sort of have resolved himself as a right. person. But he does it. He answers the questions, and he realizes, <laughs> oh, I'm unresolved. Like right. I, there is something left. So, uh, I think you talked last week about sort of the multiple conversions that we right. see, right? So, yeah. so you see, um, I, I, with the Neoplatonist, he sort of has the conversion of the mind, mm-hmm. right? So he's like, okay, I have resolved the questions, but now my now I realize I have a will that's holding me back, right? You know, and this circles back to that original sin stuff. It's like, okay, well, there's also something coded into us. So the garden is where he gives up, where he's, yeah. he's sitting with his friend Aliippus and they're reading the scriptures and he's just like, I'm done. And, and, like, and I think we've all had that feeling of like, I, I, I have spent my whole life trying to do this and I, I can't. And he kind of walks away and he just, he starts to cry. He just sits down under this tree, starts to cry and he's, he's weeping and he's praying to something, right? Yeah. And and he hears this voice, you know, this voice that says take up and read, take mm-hmm. up and read. He goes back to the to the bench. He picks up uh he picks up Romans because that's what he had been reading and he reads and I can't remember the exact verse that he reads. But what's cool is it's almost like the verse doesn't matter. Now it it actually fits very nicely uh-huh. into the story, but he says when that happens, this sort of light of certainty opens up in his heart. And it's very uh, John Wesleyan, right? Mm-hmm. Like like it's just like it all, all of a sudden, it made sense, um, and all those things I couldn't make myself do, I realized God could do for me. And then that becomes the lens to look at the whole story we we just read right. in the other direction, right? Because life is lived forward but understood backwards. So right. he says, okay, so if we think about the garden and what happens there, then all of a sudden, all these other things that he did was all about God leading him to this moment where he stops trying to do it himself mm-hmm. you know so so as a, as a pietist like this is a this is a great like this is a powerful conversion moment now the cool thing is if you asked augustine well when do you become a christian he would say well it's not the neoplatonists he would also say it's not the garden because mm-hmm. like what does he do after that right he gets baptized and he would say that's it so i love to work with students and say there's all the, there are these multiple conversions and augustine is going to He's going to put a lot of power, a lot of importance in the baptism part of it. Right. And that's where he is an attractive character to a medieval Christian, mm-hmm. to a Catholic Christian. But you can read the garden and say, well, he's a powerful character to someone like Luther too, right? Luther right. would say, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that is entire, this is entirely about how salvation's God's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say too, I mean, I grew up in a Calvinist background. And for me, the resonance is in this um, discussion of God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. which, again, you've been alluding to this mm-hmm. whole time where it's Augustine thinking that he's doing the work, but it's actually God the whole time, which he realizes. Right. right. And so I always, I always talk to students. It's sort of like when Augustine is born, because he, you know, he starts this at the beginning of his life. He right. starts this story. When he's born, it's like God's already standing in the garden waiting for him. Yeah. And he's like a fish on a hook flopping around mm-hmm. fighting against this. But God's just reeling him into this moment mm-hmm. when he can open him up. And it's, yeah, to me, it, uh, I'm not a, uh, I don't tend to be an emotional Christian. I am definitely not a teacher who you would confuse with a preacher. But like this moment <laughs> when I'm teaching this, it feels like it's the closest I get because it because I'm moved by it. I'm moved every time I tell the story, I'm moved by it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, and I was, um, so 
we have a weird family at my house, you know? And so after dinner, I was reading aloud from Augustine, and I literally got through three quarters of the first paragraph before I was crying. Huh. And my daughter was just like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? But I, I am also very moved by God being like... It's decidedly persuasive, mm-hmm. and yet it's it's it is what I said last week. This wooing, like this, mm-hmm. it's a very it's gentle, and yet it's also a kind of persuasion you can't say no to. Right, and I right. I love that. Mm-hmm. You probably didn't cry when you forget the first. <laughs> no, well, and it's very funny, like that because I very much love the the subjective experience with the divine and the sort of mystical moments that Augustine has that resonates with me but I also because I am so cerebral and so mm-hmm. rational it's his time with St. Ambrose absolutely sure. that is was always to me most <clears throat> compelling because I felt early in my life like I was the one asking the questions mm-hmm. and people were saying, don't ask those sorts of questions. You shouldn't be asking those sorts mm-hmm. of questions. And so I loved that it was it was actually Neoplatonism that finally got him to think intellectually, oh, this does make sense. And that was sort of my entryway as well. Well, and I think it, I think the thing that, that I – the other thing that moves me by this book, and, and this is the first day of class, I t- before we even have talked about the Greeks that I'm already saying like, in about like four weeks, we're going to talk about Augustine, and this is going to be important. He's going to he's going to matter. Is what I'm moved by, and I think this is why this book echoes through time so much, uh, is because he allows us into his head. Mm-hmm. He allow and and he does a pretty good job as you're walking through it of thinking about here's what I was thinking at the time. Here's the and he's he, it, it makes you feel okay with your questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also is doing memoir thinking at the same time. Yes. So one another moment that I love is when he reads Cicero's Hortensius. Mm-hmm. So he's a student of rhetoric in Carthage. And um, he reads Cicero because you're supposed to read Cicero if you're studying right. rhetoric. And he talks about falling in love with philosophy. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, and, and he and as he looks back, he says, oh, this is when I began the journey that was going to lead me to God. Yep. Now, at the time, he would have said, this is when I fell in love with wisdom, mm-hmm. and I wanted to seek right. after that. And there's this great part right after that where he says, oh, and then I, I went and read the scriptures because, you know, I'm, I want to be a seeker after wisdom. And he's like, it seemed really simple and plain, and I'm, I thought of myself as one of the greats. And he's kind of – and I can always tell the students are always disappointed because they think when he falls in love with wisdom that he's then he's going to read the scriptures and realize there's wisdom. But instead, he reads them and says, this is kind of trash. Right. This, right. Is, this is – you know, this is simpleton stuff, and he throws it away. And I can just see the students like <gasps> kind of oh, gasp no. like, no, how – you know, but but it's because there's he's got more of a journey to go mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Well, and he talks about too. I mean, and again, you just mentioned this, but like it's he doesn't have the humility necessary right. to yeah. appreciate yeah. scriptures, which is also speaks to where he is kind of in terms of his journey and his maturity. Because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. still, I think, isn't he still an adolescent? During oh that yeah, part? yeah, 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 yeah. So he's still this, you know, hot-headed kid who's like, I'm so smart and right, right, and I'm too smart for this. Yeah. And yeah. So I want to be the smartest of the smart. Which, and I also like to tell students because man. Manichaeism now seems like such a kooky place for Augustine to have fallen when he Mm -hmm. was searching for wisdom. But at that point, it really was. It was the trendy, the trendy, hip, wise way to be a a Christian um, for many people. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I I love the this the 
comparison thinking about him with ambrose the comparison of him with faustus the the yes. manichae leader and then with ambrose and you know he's already been be, been on this journey of sort of rhetoric and wisdom mm-hmm. and he talks to ambrose and he sort of pulls away all the rhetoric and realizes there's nothing there yes and there's this heartbreaking moment where he says i've de- I decided i wasn't going to follow them but i didn't have anywhere else to go. to go right and i just and i whenever i read that to students i always just read that again and i'm like this is this is heartbreaking. Yes. Because imagine he spent nine years with right. the Manichees and yeah. and and he's just like, I don't I know that I don't believe them, but I don't know where to go. And then when he's when he's with Ambrose, it's like his his guard is up more. Mm-hmm. He said, Okay, I've been fooled before by by great speakers, and he's pulling it away and he, he just doesn't want there to be truth there. Mm-hmm. And he and he wrestles with the fact that there is. And I, I that's just such a as a story, it's just such a beautiful way to, to think about that, mm-hmm. that. That those things that he was learning early on were the very things that would feed him on that journey. And then they're the things that prepare him to become the sort of monument, the monument of Augustine that we see later on. Right. You know, all these things point to that. I also another thing that I think is really interesting is our students, uh, you know, because they're largely coming from Protestant backgrounds, you know, they think, okay, well, our knowledge about God, about theology, or understanding of that comes through Scripture. And for Augustine, as a theologian, it's going to come through Scripture, but it's so informed by his life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we when we get to talking about Augustine and Pelagius, mm-hmm. you know, and you say, okay, so Pelagius says we can merit our salvation through our work. And without even talking about Scripture, I just ask the students, like, what do you think Augustine's going to say to somebody who says, oh, yeah, we can just do the work ourselves? It's like, I just told you a 50-minute story about how he proved he couldn't do it. And it's like, so right. So as much as it's about his understanding of Scripture, it's Scripture as filtered through his life experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's very clear, too, about um, he's a very material person. And I, and I know that we talk about, too, how he struggles against the sort of fleshy part of those material. But a lot of times, too, we are reading about how he sees beauty. Mm-hmm. He appreciates the material mm-hmm. world. And what he struggles with is the love misplaced that it's not the love of those things in themselves that he should have but it's what they are pointing to in terms of their creator and i think i've really appreciated that aspect this time going through mm-hmm. compared to other times yeah he is definitely not a gnostic um right. he he neoplatonism converts him or sends him down the path to christianity mm-hmm. and away from that sort of uber gnostic the flesh is all bad it's mm-hmm. all bad yeah. um so that he can appreciate i love the way he talks about beauty yeah um, so how much time do you guys spend on confessions in humanities well we have a lecture and four seminars okay mm-hmm. what what is your sense of students response to it they frequently wonder why he's so obsessed with his own sin um, right when they first start. So the, today is our first seminar talking about it. My my experience in general has been the first day, they're like, why is he so obsessed with how bad babies are and this stupid pear tree incident? Like, why is it so? And then by the end, um, it ends up being a work that they almost all come back to or a lot of them come back to in Humanities 4 mm-hmm. as they're reflecting back on their experience in the Humanities program. Sure. I think once they can kind of get through some of those kinds of things that you talked about with regard to like he they he seems verbose obviously mm-hmm. to them and he he is but i think that by the end they can appreciate 
that there is actually some resonance between what Augustine is saying and the things that they themselves struggle with. And mm-hmm. that I think they also want to be persuaded mm-hmm. in the way that Augustine is mm-hmm. persuaded. And they think they maybe don't have the right to have that many questions, but some of them do. Yeah. And the, yeah, in Humanities 4, they often come back to it. And I had one of the best um, responses from a student who chose in Humanities 4 to um, write a letter to in, to Augustine, sort of, hmm. at, you know, and it was just a very beautiful, um, humble, and I want to know more about this experience that you have because I kind of want to have it myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting thinking about the the power of that conversion story. And I remember our former colleague Stacy Hunter Hecht always would talk about the the people who the students who grew up in the church almost having this like jealousy towards like I wish I could have a powerful conversion experience, but my problem is it happened when I was three because right. I grew up. And it's like that. I think that's just an interesting thing because I find myself resonating with his story, even though like. My story doesn't look like his. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that I I started teaching CWC in, in 2001. I feel very old saying that. Yeah. Um, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And every time I've ever taught the course, the first day of class, I read something to my students. Um, and then I bring it up again when we're when I lecture on Augustine. And this is from uh, Frederick Buechner, huh. who's a 20th century Christian novelist. And this comes from, I don't know if he wrote other memoirs, but this is um, a book called Telling Secrets. And it's really sort of an attempted memoir. It mm-hmm. ends up like being about how hard it is to tell your story. Uh, but I'm just going to read this because this yeah, to yeah. me to me unlocks, I think, one of the powerful things that Augustine is after uh, and why it's important that we uh, that we read this. So this is a, from a point in the book where Beekner's really struggling with like, why am I even why am I even writing this stuff down about his own life? He says, but I talk about my life anyway, because if on the one hand, hardly anything could be less important On the other hand, hardly anything could be more important. My story is important, not because it is mine, God knows, but because if I tell it anything like right, the chances are you will recognize that in many ways it's also yours. Mm -hmm. Maybe nothing is more important than that we keep track, you and I, of these stories of who we are and where we've come from and the people we've met along the way, because it is precisely through these stories and all their particularity, as I have long believed and often said, that God makes himself known to each of us most powerfully and personally. If this is true, it means that to lose track of our stories is to be profoundly impoverished, not only humanly, but also mm-hmm. spiritually. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that's – there's a couple things. I think that's what Augustine's doing, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. looking for the fingerprints of God in his life. But there's also this sense of if we – if he tells his story right and we listen to it with open ears and open hearts – that for at least for me, there is this resonance, right? And I, this is why I love history, and I particularly love sort of autobiography and biography in history, is because I there are people that we study, and it's not everyone that are that sort of serve as these kind of distant mirrors, where you have this resonance with like Augustine couldn't live in a world more different than what I grew up in. His his story of faith is not mine, but at the same time, when I read it, I just there's just this. Mm-hmm. This resonance, this humming mm-hmm. that I feel. And and I always tell students, like, I don't know that you're going to have that with Augustine, but I hope that you're open enough to listening for when that does happen. Mm-hmm. Because it might. It, I hope it happens in this course, um, but I, I know it will happen over the course of your education. And when you find those things where you have that humming, to, you got to chase that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and Erica Kidd, who teaches at St. Thomas and is someone who really likes Augustine, she talked about how part of the reason that he makes a public confession and he's doing this in front of others is it's also meant to be an invitation for Mm -hmm. you to tell your story as well, that you also can confess because he's paved the way for you to do yeah, so. One of my right. fa- one of my favorite parts in the book, I've said this like six times my favorite part in the book, but <laughs> um, is I, I went through a kick probably 15, 20 years ago where I was really interested in reading books or I, maybe I wasn't interested. I ended up reading lots of books that people were writing when they died. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, and it always, I always get like worried about that. Like Albert Camus, uh, first man, right. An unfinished okay. book. Um, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's Last Tycoon. Oh, um, love that one. The The Pale King by David Foster Wallace, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in these things. But I always, like, worry, like, what if they didn't want me to read this? Like, you think, mm-hmm. I think about, like, Virginia Woolf when she kills herself mm-hmm. saying, burn all my writings. Right. Like, right. Thank God that people didn't. didn't. But, like, you know, but then – and so then I'm thinking about, like, how intimate this book is. Mm-hmm. Because he's – He's not addressing us. He's mm-hmm. addressing God the whole time. Yeah. And I had this moment when I was – the first time I taught this when I was like, should we be reading this? <laughs> like not in this course but like as a as a people. Is this – but there is a moment where he says he, – he says to God, why am I telling you this? Right. And he says it's, it's not because you need to hear this but because – if anybody stumbles across this writing, it will show the depths from which you can you can God can call someone. Mm-hmm. And like I felt so much better when I found that when I read that passage again and was like, oh, he's actually he is talking to me two thousand years later, saying, not two thousand, uh, sixteen hundred years later, mm-hmm. saying like, no, it's okay. I actually wrote this for you, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're supposed to be in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the audience is so huge because he does have so many conversions, so many moments, so mm-hmm. many experiences that are going to resonate in some way with someone, mm-hmm. um, or with everyone in some way with everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and kicked off an entire genre, right? The spiritual memoir, right, becomes a thing because of him, because of this. Yeah, cool. That's why we get Beekner, right? Right. And I would love if we could. There's this amazing work. Um, in Islam by Al-Ghazali um, called Deliverance from Error, and it's his spiritual memoir. Oh, interesting. It's very frequently compared to the confessions. It's written very much in the same way. Ghazali reaches this crisis point in his life where he realizes all of his p- pursuits have been for power and academia and prestige. He's in the middle of lecturing one day at the university, and he says, God put a lock on my tongue, and I suddenly couldn't speak. And then he goes off wandering into the desert for several years and then does the, very much the same thing where he writes, here are the various ways that I have tried to access truth. And this has ultimately led me to this mystical experience with the divine, to his own wow. garden experience. I need to read that. Yes, it's wonderful. Um, and so I like the fact that August, the way Augustine thinks is so powerful that it ends up having all of these echoes, resonances mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. That's totally interesting. Mm-hmm. I know, summer book club, I guess. I yeah. Don't know. yeah, yeah, that Clearly. sounds good. I, I, have to, I have to look into that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you mentioned Frederick Beekner, Telling mm-hmm. Secrets. Are there other books that you would point uh, lovers of Augustine to? Well, can I give like a. You can do what, whatever what, you want. What Sam. might be Pendium? a cheesy cop out answer to this? No, it's, you, it's okay. you're, you're the boss, Sam. Okay. I, I, honestly, because I was thinking, I knew you were going to ask this, and I was thinking, like, well, what, what would I point people to? And honestly, I think what Augustine would want you to do is to do this yourself. 
is to be like, the story you should be listening to is your story. And you should be paying attention to that. And then you should be telling that story. And you should, whether you're writing it or talking about it. Now, this is coming from a very private person myself who doesn't <laughs> like to talk about these things. But like that, that's that's the challenge I get from this is to listen to other people's mm-hmm. stories and to and to think about your – reflect on your own story and to share that story. So that's going to be my non-booky bookish Okay, answer. but here's my right. follow-up um, question. So if – if what would be your first paragraph in your story, Sam? That's a really good question that I wasn't prepared for. Um, <laughs> huh. I think as I think about my my story, because I have a I have a, a I think an interesting interconnection of faith traditions, um, is that the the story of my of my faith is one that does not involve. It involves a lot of moving from one thing to another without rejecting the things I'm moving from. Mm-hmm. So I, that would be where it starts. I mean, I grew up Catholic, and I and I am one of those people where I have the most gentle conversion experiences mm-hmm. in terms of like, oh, I I was I grew up Catholic, and then I started to meet some Protestant people. I was kind of interested in what they had to say. Mm-hmm. So then I would go to mass on Saturday, and I'd go to Protestant churches on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Bethel and like really dove in, you know, headfirst here in terms of trying to figure out, figure this out. Um, and then my first year out of college, I lived with Catholic monks again. So right. it's just like, it's like I'm, and I'm, the stuff I'm interested in reading is kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I had seasons where I was reading Desert Fathers and Mothers like that mm-hmm. was, and, and reading Thomas Merton and people like that, you know, where it's like, and Henry Now and people who are interested in monastic traditions. But then I have other times where I, you know, that doesn't seem like something that interests me. So I feel like I just like I I move around a lot, which my fear is that that am I just sort of absorbing the things around me and being unaffected by it. But I think the opposite is true, which I think is I'm deeply affected by mm-hmm. it. Um, so it would be that's not a pa- first paragraph, but it, that's that would be the yeah. direction I think I would go with uh-huh. something like that. That's a fair yeah. that's a fair answer to a yeah. weird question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, is there? Um, oh, go ahead, Carrie. I was just gonna say. Really, so that was a non-bookish answer to yes. a bookish question. What other books are you reading right now? Just this for one, fun? I'm excited to tell you about yeah. because there's something I like to call the bookish effect, uh, the bookish at Bethel effect. Which is uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Anne Marie brought up a book that she said, "Oh, you'd really like this." So I read, um, I read "The Silence of the Girls" by Pat Barker, right? Yes. Okay. Which is about the uh, uh, Iliad as seen through the the eyes of Briseis. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. So then that made me say, you know what? I need to go back and reread the Iliad because it's been a couple of years. So yes. I reread the Iliad. And then I reread the Odyssey because I should reread that. And then um, last weekend, I reread one of my favorite books, which is James Joyce's Ulysses. Because, oh. like, that's a retelling oh, of the Iliad. Yeah. Wow. And then, I, then this week I read the Penelopeid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Wow. Is that, uh, I, we need to talk about that. That yeah. was. Well, it's coming as a play. I heard. Yeah. 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 It's, I was, that blew my hair back a little bit because oh. that one's so much more. I think that The Silence of the Girls is rich in a particular kind of way as a retelling of the Iliad. Because it really is a, re- yeah. a full retelling of the Iliad. The Penelopead, she did some stuff I didn't expect. I mean, for one thing, it's not Penelope in you know 7th century BC Ithaca it's Penelope today in yeah. Hades yeah talk and so and and all the interludes are really interesting the yeah. the trial and uh-huh. the the um anthropology le- like yeah. wow was that good oh good that one that that so 
I'm. If you guys have recommendations, I'm. I am. Uh, I'm gone open to on that. the bookish journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it it, it, it brought me roundabout, but but no, I will say I, I'm a huge James Joyce fan. So I'm rereading Ulysses and doing it in a really compact amount of time is. Uh, whenever when I when I finished it again, I was just. I just feel like I just needed to shut down for a little bit because I'm so <laughs> deeply, deeply moved. So I have a question for you because we we always talk about like what we're reading. So I'm going to ask you what is one of my favorite book-related questions, um, which is if you had to name a book or two to recommend to someone, not that is your favorite book, but that would explain a little bit about who you are and how you interact with the world, what book or books would you recommend? Curious thinking, mm-hmm. but I my favorite book, but I think also is the one is, is the one that um, answers your question is Gilead mm-hmm. by Marilyn Robinson. In that book, it's uh, written. Have you read it? No. I'm looking at Carrie. So oh, I know your wife has read I've it. I've read it. Yeah, and you've yeah. read and it. Okay. I read it because she read it and she gave it to me and said, you're going to love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's written. Um, it's an older man who has been given grace in the form of a family when he least expected it. Mm-hmm. And so he's writing to his very young son, knowing that he, the father, will die before the son mm-hmm. has reached maturity. So it's it's a question of what he's leaving behind. Yeah. And so um, it weaves, though, um, beautiful things about theology and how we just treat one another and questions about, in some ways, civil rights a little bit and... Um, I like that one because unlike so many of the things that we read in humanities, his redemption comes with family and mm-hmm. community, not by spurning family and community just sure. to be mm-hmm. in personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah. There's, there's be- actually a quote from from Gilead that I have, I have written in my office that I look to not infrequently, which is th- towards the end of the book, there's this line, there's a, there's a thousand, thousand reasons to live this life and each of them is sufficient. And like that's a that's a helpful reminder. So, yeah. yeah, I love that book. Well, mine is slightly probably more disturbing, <laughs> um, but I would say Albert Camus' The Stranger. Ooh, um, it was why The Stranger? Well, it's the first, so it's the book that actually led me to philosophy. Um, I read it in high school in a lit class, and I was so amazed and confused and frustrated, and just thought I I didn't know what philosophy was, but I've realized this is what I want to do. So I shifted what I was planning on studying in college and came and then declared as a philosophy major. And despite the fact that I went through a long period where I was not existentialist in my approach, coming back to Camus, every time I read that particular, there's something very, very compelling Hmm. about the character character of Hmm. Merceau. And I see some similarities between Merceau and myself. Interesting. Which are, again, kind of disturbing, uh, but interesting to teach. Um, I think his more his distance from everything um, and the damage that that does to him. And so um, I think it asks some powerful questions and shines a light on some of my weaker areas. He's one of my favorite writers, too. I, so yeah, yeah, I love his stuff. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's why we all love each other on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Do you have one of those I books? Do. I do. I'll, I'll name two. And they both, I can connect. They're both fiction, but I can connect them to Confessions a little bit, which is one of the things I love about about Confessions is getting into Augustine's head. Um, and and, I, and I, I will admit, and this is true for whenever we answer this, there's, there's like a by definition pretentious nature to answering this question to be like well if you want to get to know me you uh-huh. should like so but but I but I'll just throw that to the side and say 
One of them is a novella by J.D. Salinger called um, Seymour and Introduction. I'm oh, yeah. a huge Salinger mm-hmm. fan. Um, it's the the most aggressive thing that he wrote. I mean, it's 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 like an anti short story. The whole thing is about how I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write the story you want. And he's constantly talking to his critics as he's writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the greatest pieces on uh, on on art, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, period. And then the other is uh, uh, Joyce's portrait of an artist, portrait of an artist as a young man is ah. one of my absolute absolute mm-hmm. favorite books. I can't wait for my kids to be old enough to read the stuff I want them to read. But yeah, awesome. I don't know that I, I don't know that either of my children will ever read Joyce, but he's mm-hmm. he's my guy. Oh, fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you so absolutely. much for this joining fun. us today. This was fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're so clever to have him on. <laughs> Indeed, we are. Revolutionary. Indeed. Well, this has been Bookish at Bethel. <laughs> <laughs>